Corinthians in chapter 5. Now you may know, but Satan's very name means accuser. In fact, we see in the book of Job where Satan is standing before God and he's accusing Job of only following God because of all the blessings that God has given Job. In Zechariah chapter 3, we see that Satan is once again standing before God, but this time he is accusing Joshua the high priest and the entire priesthood of the Israelites. And this is just a sample of how Satan goes before God, accusing all believers. In fact, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says, Then I heard with a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. See, Satan seeks to tear us down and not only to tear us down, but to destroy us. And one way that he does that is through either not knowing, us not knowing or forgetting our identity in Christ. See, we fall to his schemes when we don't remember who we are in Christ. You see, as the accuser, Satan wants to remind us of our sin. He wants to remind us of our failures and to believe the lies that he says about us. You know, we began this sermon series on our identity in Christ when we began it a few weeks ago. I asked you, what do you see when you look in the mirror? You may see physical characteristics, but you may see something deeper than that. You may see, uh, you may tend to focus on your shortcomings. You may focus on your failures. But when you look in the mirror, you may be filled with regret from all the poor choices that you've made in life. And those accusations and those condemnations are not from God, but they're from Satan. See, God does not do that to us. He will convict us about sin in our life, but he will not accuse us and he will not condemn us. You see, God and Satan have two very different identities for us as Christians. God says that we are a saint. But Satan reminds us that we are a sinner. God says that we are a child of his. But Satan says that no one, not even God, could care about you. And so Satan says that you and I are orphans. As Christians, God says that we are a slave of God. He says that we have a new life where he is our master. But Satan says that we're not a slave of God, but we're a slave to sin. And he reminds us of this every time that we fall into sin. God says that we are his priest in this world. And because of this, he will use us to serve him, to minister to others on his behalf. And he reminds us that we have direct access to God, that we can pray to him through Jesus Christ. Satan says that God could not possibly have time to listen to us, that he couldn't possibly use someone like us. And so Satan says that we're useless. And so today we'll see 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where God says that all Christians are his ambassadors in this world. We are to go forth into this lost and dying world and to represent him. We represent him in our speech. We represent him in our conduct. But Satan says that we're not an ambassador. He says that we're nothing more than an embarrassment to God, that we're an embarrassment to Christianity and to ourselves. So as you see, we need to remind ourselves about our identity in Christ because Satan will tell us just the opposite. And so as we conclude this sermon series today on our identity in Christ, we're going to see that all Christians are an ambassador of Jesus Christ and how we should live as an ambassador. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll begin there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the day that you've given us. Lord, I thank you that we are here to this morning to gather to worship you, Lord. Lord, I know that many are sick this time of year, and Lord, there's some in nursing homes and hospitals, Lord, that would love to be in your house. And Lord, I know that there's many at the same time that are disinterested and don't really care. But Lord, I thank you for these that have gathered here today, Lord, not to hear from me, but to hear your word, Lord. And Lord, show us what it means to be an ambassador. Lord, give us the confidence that we need to rest in our identity in Christ, dear Lord, and not believe the lies that Satan tells us, Lord. Lord, help us as we look at how we are to be an ambassador in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. Satan definitely is the accuser. As I said, he accused Job. He accused Joshua, the high priest. Revelation 12.10 said that he accuses every believer. And so now we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to see the term of the ambassador. The term of the ambassador here in chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Now if you were to go back and if you were to look at Second Corinthians chapter 4, if you were to look back then, you would see where Paul had just discussed the fact that we as Christians have a treasure, which is the gospel. And that treasure is stored in jars of clay, frail jars of clay, which represents us as humans. And so continuing with the idea of the frailty of the human body, Paul continues to discuss the human body, not as jars of clay, but he discusses the human body as a tent. And we know that Paul was a tent maker. And so the idea of a tent representing the human body would make sense to him. See, the tent 
is something that is temporary, isn't it? In verse 1, Paul compares the earthly body to a temporary tent. And he compares the glorified body to an eternal home in heaven. And looking around today and looking at most of you, I'd say that I'm fairly certain to say that everybody lives in a house and not a tent. And so we, we, most, we, we would rather live in a house instead of a tent if we had our choice, wouldn't we? And so Paul states that we all groan, though, in this tent, that we know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. It may have been he suffered with blindness a little bit after he was blinded on the road to Damascus. That may have been it. Some have said that his legs were crippled. No matter what it was, he had a physical ailment that was a thorn in the flesh that he suffered with. He suffered with it. And it made him, he could understand what groaning in the flesh is. Now, many of us do that when we get up from a chair, don't we? Or get up from the bed. We groan in the flesh, don't we? We know what it means to groan in the flesh. See, Paul was longing for this house in verse 2. He was longing for his glorified body. And the reason was he didn't want to be found naked, meaning that not without his clothes, meaning that he does not want to be found without a home in heaven, meaning not naked. But verse 4, he says he wants his glorified body. See, the fact that we live in the temporary body shows us that just as his ambassadors, we have a limited temporary term. We're, our term begins at the day that we were born again and became a Christian, and our term as his ambassador ends when we die. You see, you know, many people would love to have term limits in polit politics, wouldn't they? You know, instead of seeing people up there 30 years and so... But we as Christians have term limits as his ambassadors. We have it. In fact, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. We as Christians are strangers and exiles in this world. We're just passing through, aren't we? We are here to represent him while we're here. But even though this body is temporary, we have assurance of salvation and eternal life through the Holy Spirit in us, as verse 5 says, the deposit that has been given to us. The, the, the Spirit is a deposit, a down payment. And so we see here that even though our time is temporary, we have the assurance of the salvation that we have by the Holy Spirit living in us. So the term of, of an ambassador is one that is temporary in this world. I want you to see now in verse 6 through 10, the concern of the ambassador. The concern of the ambassador. Verse 6 through 10. So we're always confident and know that while we are home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we're confident in that we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
See, we know that our country sends ambassadors to most countries in the world. And these ambassadors, they live and work in the foreign capitals, and they do so on behalf of our president, on behalf of our government, and they do so on behalf of our nation's best interests. And the ambassador then, as he is going and serving, should not be concerned with his desires and what's in his best interest, but his concern should be for the country that he served, shouldn't it? And so likewise, as Jesus' ambassador, we should not be concerned about our desires and what we want to do. We should be concerned about his desires, shouldn't we? And so as we serve on Christ's behalf, we have the confidence in knowing that while we are in this tent, we belong to him even though we are away, as verse 6 tells us. And while we are away, we serve him through faith. And as verse 7 says, not by sight. We serve him by faith. And so while Paul says that he would rather be at home with the Lord in verse 8, no matter where he is at, he says in verse 9 that I'm going to make it my job to be pleasing to the Lord. My aim is going to be to please the Lord. And so as we are Christ's ambassadors, we have to make it our aim in life to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Jesus spoke about this, John chapter 8, verse 29. John 8, verse 29 says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Jesus came to do the will of his Father, to live a life that was pleasing to him. Paul also mentions this again in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 verse 9 through 12. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. And we're asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully give thanks to the Lord who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Paul's prayer for these Christians in Colossae was that they would live a life that was pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we should do is seek to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And why should we live to please him? See, because just like an ambassador has to stand before his superiors and give an account for his life, we see in verse 10 that we too have to stand before the Lord and give an account for our life. And this should be what drives us and motivates us in life to live the will of, of God because one day we have to stand face to face with our Lord to give an account of our life. You see, it's easy to get distracted in life, isn't it? It's easy to focus on the things that we want to do. It's easy to get so busy that we put other things off, but we must be concerned primarily with the priorities of Christ. You know, there's different people that different people that drive. My wife, when she drives, she tends to look forward at the road. 
But I, when I look, when I drive, that's usually forward the last place I'm looking. I'm looking this way, that way, and I get it honestly from my grandfather. I'm just looking around, you know. And then that's how we are in life sometimes. Our head's on a swivel, getting distracted by all the things in life instead of on the priorities of what God has called us to, the priorities of Jesus Christ. And so the concern of the ambassador should be the concerns of Jesus Christ. I want you to see in verse 11 through 15 now, the motivations of an ambassador. The motivation of an ambassador. Verse 11 through 15. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your consciousness. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. See, what should motivate us to live as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? One thing that should definitely motivate us is the fear of the Lord, meaning the reverence that we have for God as we see there at the beginning of verse 11. And that fear of the Lord that we have is an honor and deep respect for God. Our reverence for him is demonstrated by our willingness to die to our old self and living according to his way of life and worshiping him. And one of the commands that Jesus gives all of his followers is that we're to go and to make disciples that we're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in the second part of verse 11 that he feels compelled to persuade people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to know that I kind of get put off by that word persuade because we're not salesmen, are we? We're not salesmen. We're not trying to sell somebody the gospel. But we share the gospel and urge people to accept Jesus as their Savior because we know the consequences of rejection. It is as if a person is dangling over hell themselves and we are trying to persuade them to come out from being dangled over hell. But the only way to do that is by accepting Jesus Christ. When we share the gospel, we must do so urgently. We must do so passionately. The gospel presentation must be clear and transparent. And seeing how the gospel changed us should motivate us to share with others so they can be changed. Another motivation for the ambassador is to help people continually be transformed into the image of God, verse 12 says. See, too many people are just concerned with the outside appearances of people. As you know, the Judaizers were a group in the early church that said a person must become a Jew before they can ever become a Christian. And they were like many people today who were only concerned about the outside appearance and outside actions of someone. 
In fact, we know that God says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 7, that God does not look at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. And so we must be concerned with a person's heart. There are many people today that look like they have it all together. On the outside, they appear to have a great life, but many people are just dying on the outside, on the inside, while this facade radiates. See, the same could be said about a church, couldn't it? We could have a church that every seat is filled each week, where everybody is singing and clapping and praying and taking notes. We could all be friendly, appear unified, and support every mission that there is. But if our heart doesn't match the outward appearance, then what does it matter? To be truly transformed, we must be totally transformed from the inside out. And truth is also shown as a motivation for the ambassador in verse 13. See, as a Christian, we have heard the truth of the gospel. And we have not only heard it, but we have accepted it and we have devoted our life to this truth. And as we live a life of devotion to Jesus and his truth, some may look at us and say, you are out of your mind. Why would you do that? Why would you give 10% of your income to the church? Why would you spend all that time down at the church? Why would you get up and go instead of sleeping in on Sunday? It's your only day off. They look at us as if we're out of our minds, don't they? They look at us like that. But we have devoted our life to him, haven't we? As we live a life of devotion, they'll look at us like that. But no matter what others think, we are to devote ourselves to him and live for the truth. Why? Because an ambassador, as verse 14 says, is compelled by the love of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus willfully gave his life on the cross for us. As we've been reading in the Old Testament, countless, countless animals died to atone temporarily for sin. But Jesus in one action atoned temporary, I mean, permanently for sin, didn't he? He loves us so much that he died for us and we should love him the same. And because of his great sacrifice, because of his resurrection, because of him defeating sin and death, and because of our salvation, we can no longer live for ourselves, but we should completely live for him. So we're motivated to live for him by the reverence for him, by the great commission. We're motivated by the transformation that takes place in people's lives and by truth and love. You know, when people do nice things for us, it tends to make us be nice to them or to treat them nice because, you know, nobody wants to treat somebody ugly that did something for them, don't they? You know, how much more, though, should we be motivated to live for Jesus Christ because he just didn't do something for us? He gave his all for us, didn't he? And so that should be the motivation of an ambassador. And finally, in verse 16 through 21, I want you to see the purpose of an ambassador. Verse 16 through 21. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we now no longer know them this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
And see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making this appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, many people seek to know that their purpose is in life. They want to know what their purpose is. And likewise, many Christians seek to know their purpose in life as a Christian as well. Why do we exist? What is our goal? What are we called to do? And simply put, the purpose of an ambassador of Jesus Christ is to share the gospel of Jesus on his behalf to a lost and dying world. And when we give our life to Christ, we should stop seeing people from a worldly perspective, as verse 16 tells us, that people are so much more than just the here and now, but we should be concerned with their souls and their salvation and see them from an eternal perspective. See, lostness should burden us and we should look for ways to share the gospel. And this should be a priority in our life and not an afterthought in our life. And so our thinking and our priorities should change because we're a new creation, as verse 17 says. We should no longer be primarily concerned with the things of this world. And so as Jesus' ambassadors, we have been tasked with the sharing of the gospel. As verse 18 says, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. And when we share the gospel, we're delivering the message of God that will lead them to reconcile their broken relationship with God. And it only through Jesus Christ that our broken relationship with God can be reconciled. It is only through him that we can have forgiveness and salvation. And who has he committed this gospel message to? Verse 19, look again. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to who? To us, hasn't he? He has given that message to us, that gospel message, not to keep to ourselves, but we are to go out, as verse 20 says, on Christ's behalf as his ambassador to go and share the gospel. Why did God have his only son die? Was it for sins that Jesus committed? No, it wasn't, was it? It was for sins that you and I committed. And so God had him die so that we could be saved. And this is the only way anyone can have a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And so our purpose as an ambassador is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can be saved. You see, when a president selects an ambassador, they must be confirmed by the Senate, and once confirmed, they are now an ambassador of the government. And before today, I want to ask you, did you know that all Christians are ambassadors? We don't go through Senate confirmation, praise God, do we? But we're all confirmed through the salvation that we receive in Jesus Christ. So 
So I want you to ask yourself this morning, are you an ambassador? You are only if you've been saved. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to be saved through his uh, son. If you are saved, understand that many Christians, that they waste time being distracted and concerned about the wrong things. Are you distracted? Are you concerned about the wrong things? Understand that our time here on earth to share the gospel is temporary. So ask yourself, are you fulfilling your purpose by sharing the gospel? If not, I want to encourage you. Begin to think about people. Think about one person that you know that needs to be saved. Begin praying for them every day. And not just pray for them, but make it a point in effort that maybe after a week of prayer or 30 days of prayer, you just ask the Lord to lay it on your heart when? That at that time that you will share the gospel with that person that you have been praying for. Ask the Lord to show you when and how and who to share the gospel with as his ambassador. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you this morning asking you, Lord, that if there is someone here that needs to give their life to Jesus Christ, Lord, that they'll do so. Lord, only us as Christians can partake of the Lord's Supper. And Lord, only those with right hearts should take of the Lord's Supper. And so, Lord, we don't put the Lord's Supper at the end as just something to tack on. But Lord, we hear from you. And Lord, we offer invitation, Lord, so that you can deal with our hearts before we go to the table. And so, Lord, use this time of invitation, Lord, to deal with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.